I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Lonnie, mm -hmm. did you get at the beginning of this film a really loud, visually overwhelming title card sequence from Edgar Wright asking you to not spoil the film? I don't remember it being loud or overbearing, but I remember I saw this at the British at the Brisbane Film Festival, sorry, here in Brisbane, and they started with someone coming out and having a chat to us, and she didn't identify herself. I assume she was from the festival, and she read a, a text message from Edgar Wright saying, "This is like one of the first screenings in Australia. Um, really excited for you to watch it. Can't wait for you to see the film, but you know we want, don't want to do spoilers and you know make sure everyone gets the experience." And that's what happened again because then we filmed. So that happened, right? Text message happened. And then there was like a, a trailer for the festival. I'm like, I'm already here. I don't need to see a, a trailer for the festival that I'm already at. And then that message played from Edgar. I assume it's the same one that you got about, you know, don't spoil the ending. How do we do a podcast on it without Edgar Wright putting us on his hit list? <laughs> well, it's already out now, so that's okay. It's already out around the world. I don't my, my... be mad at me. <laughs> it's okay. My thing was that everyone's saying, I can't wait for you to see it. can't wait to see the film. Obviously, you can wait because <laughs> I suppose it's start 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Hello there. Welcome to I Only Like You and Movies. My name's Lonnie. Her name's Sine. How's it going, Sine? Hi. Good, thanks. That's good. <laughs> um, Last Night in Soho is the film of today's podcast. As I said, I started at the Brisbane Film Festival you saw it at the British Film Festival at Palace Cinema, didn't you, Sine? It was my first film after leaving the International Space Station. Oh, you're, you're, you're back on, did I say dry land? <laughs> Firm I'm land? Back on, back on my bullshit. Back on land, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and bullshit, yeah. <laughs> and did you, how was your experience? Great. Everyone was very nice. Mm -hmm. Checked our back status, so I felt very safe. Oh, cool. Got a little chop chop. Mm -hmm. Got a little chalk mint chalk top to mark the occasion. <laughs> Brilliant. Cool. Turns all around. I was wondering, just this morning I was thinking about this, I'm like, wouldn't it be great if, like, Margaret and David back in the day had always started their reviews explaining if they got a chalk top, what the cinema was like, <laughs> complaining about people in the cinema next to them? Listen, we bring something that others don't, <laughs> and that are, that's yeah. petty complaints. That's it. They're too scared to do that, aren't they, really? Let's face it. <laughs> Unlike us. Now, as we said, Edgar Wright directed this film. He wrote it. And he also had a co-writer as well, who is one of the up-and-coming stars of um, writing films. <laughs> Screenwriting, you might say. <laughs> um, Christy Wilson-Cairns. And she was also... I just want to double-check this. Yes, 1917. She was the co-writer on that, mm -hmm. which was we both liked, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Uh, explain the film to me, Sine, and, oh, and try not to get yourself on a hit list. All right. Egg is listening, so, okay? So. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm. This is. We do this, Edgar. What do you want me to do? Not we, review it? We've got a spoiler warning, okay? So. Okay. So, listen. There's this girl 
her name's Eloise. She's played by Thomas and Mackenzie, who keen eyed viewers might recall from Jojo Rabbit. I didn't realize until afterwards. I was like, I swear I, I see this girl somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And she leaves Cornwall, where she's living with her gran, to go to fashion school in London. Mm-hmm. And she's having a nice time, everything's great. And then she rents out a room from this old lady and she starts to have these visions slash flashbacks slash intense dreams mm-hmm. about Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Sandy. And that's that takes place in the 1960s in London. Mm. And listen, it's billed as a psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. It is not a psychological thriller. It is a horror film. <laughs> Lonnie tricked me into going to a horror film, giving me no pre-warning about how horrific it would be. Listen, the parts of the... I can't even review this movie properly because there were sections where I did not watch. Oh, no. What did you do? I had my little hands over my eyes and I was just looking in my lap and I was like, do-do-do, everything's fine, everything's fine. It's good because the monsters can't get you if if you can't see them. That's the rule, yeah. (laughs) So, and there's like a descent into madness, I guess, is the like whole thing. Mm. And it's a bit like, is it real? What is is there magic in this universe? Not sure, or is it all in her head, sort of thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you like it though? The bits you saw. I liked it up to a point. Mm. I liked it until it turned into a horror film, because this film does. I, I see. I'm getting to spoilers straight away. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, you know, spoilers from here on. Oh, I, I can't. I don't know if I can recommend it. I think you'd probably recommend it because of the direction and, and stuff. But, yeah, I've got some issues with it. We'll get into in spoilers for me. Okay. So this film does some really interesting things. It has a lot of commentary on city living and feminism and men being creeps. And that's all very interesting. And... The whole point of the film is that Eloise's mum has schizophrenia, right? Mm. So it's implied that Eloise also has schizophrenia and that's what's happening. I I don't know. I really I was I was in it. I was loving it. I love Edgar Wright. His use of music and film is always mm-hmm. perfect. And this is really a love letter to 1960s music, which is that was just beautiful. There were some sequences that were really, like, technically incredibly done. But then the big reveal, like, what? Hmm. What did you think? Well, I, I agree with you, all that. And it's touching upon some really interesting themes and topics and you know, all the feminism and history and all those things, as you mentioned. But it just sort of touches upon it. It doesn't really get into yeah. much depth. It was a bit hollow, I thought, in the end. Mm. Um, I was with you. I was thinking, like, the first half of this film, I was like, are we in Best Picture nominee? Yeah, it was so good. Mm. And especially there's a setup, you know, Ordinary World, or she's you know, going to fashion school and whatever, and then she you know, goes down the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole into this fantasy sequence of the 60s and that's just amazing like they've recreated the 60s so well mm-hmm. all the fashion and the dancing and that sequence where we're seemingly transitioning just seamlessly transitioning I should say um from 
Annie Taylor-Joy dancing with Matt Smith to it being Thomas and like, wow, this is how they're doing this and but so, you're so into it, right? That sequence, I was like, oh, they've just filmed both and they're splicing and that's really cool that they're splicing it. Hmm. They didn't. They subbed in and out. It was one yeah. take. So they just choreographed that. He to the, turns. Yeah. Where we're focusing on him and then Thomas in jumps out and then he jumps yeah. in. Wow. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> it's really cool. And... Like, if that had carried on the whole rest of the film, I'd like, this would be one of my favourites. But mm-hmm. then I don't want to damn this with faint praise or anything or, or criticise it unfairly, but it kind of became like a Doctor Who episode, I thought, after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, not really, because there weren't any, like, Daleks or... Well, I just thought there's these these hidden figures, you can't really see their faces, and they're just sort of always about to get you when you run away for a bit down the hall and then you turn around and there again and then they're in the library and you're trying to look up stuff and it just I didn't really feel much of a threat from these scary things that are chasing her and it felt just like you know they're a, a robot or an alien from Doctor Who that's, that's what I kind of felt well, I wish I felt like that because then I would have been less terrified of them well the first time they're terrifying but then you know after the third or fourth time where they almost get her and don't I'm like oh well these guys aren't very aren't very scary are they um, I've got here, right, so the idea is that, that we haven't mentioned yet that the main girl, Eloise, is obsessed with the 60s and she's kind of like one of those girls who thinks she was born the wrong generation, right? And so then when she goes to the big city of London, all of a sudden she's having these dreams or potentially she's having time travel or something and she's back in the what she would consider the peak period of the world, right, with the fashion and the music and nightclubs and whatever, She's like in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. The idea is then is that you pull the rug out from underneath everybody and realize, you know, back then the sixties, what we remember from the sixties was great, but then there's a lot of stuff happening under the surface which um, isn't so great and gets glossed over. The way they do that is that the girl that she is sort of inhabiting or is experiencing or you know, having some sort of out of body experience watching um, Sandy and you tell her joy is that she is a is sort of compelled into being a sex worker by her by this creepy agent who Matt Smith that is again maybe that's my thing with Doctor Who I don't know maybe not <laughs> who is like you know I'll make you a star but also on your way to becoming a famous actress and singer you've got to do some I'm going to pimp you out right mm-hmm. I just kind of felt like I think that argument that maybe the sixties weren't as good as they were cracked up to be. Is kind of a, a little bit undercut by we've got to show how bad it was by making our pretty girl into a sex worker against her will. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to compare it to another film which has the same sort of um, story element, Midnight in Paris, right? So in that film, Owen Wilson's character is obsessed with the 1920s um, Paris scene. He wants to go be there with Ernest Hemingway and... Um, Great Gatsby guy, what's his name? <laughs> Scott Fitzgerald. That's the guy, you know, <laughs> Scott. Um, he wants to be back there, right? And I think that's when, you know, literature peaked and that was, you know, staying out and having cafe, having drinks in cafes and learning about the world, right? Then he gets there through a time travel portal or whatever and it's great at first but then he realises, oh, wait, these guys aren't what I thought in my head and also if I stayed back here in this time period... You know, what if I get sick? I'm not going to be able to go to the dentist. Like, he starts to realise maybe there are some good things about my life 
back where I am, you know? And also he realized that the people in the 1920s, 30s in Paris, they were always harking back to 1890s. So nostalgia is always, you know, what you want in the past. I thought that was a kind of, that's a kind of multifaceted, interesting view on that sort of time travel topic, right? Like the idea is what if you had to go back into the time period that you love, you know, and actually in reality, you find out maybe it wasn't so good. In, in Last Night in Soho, it's like the 1960s are bad because you might have to be a sex worker against your will. And then also there might be some creepy um, faceless men who are going to chase after you. And I get like it's a horror film and that's kind of the, you know, we have these peaks and thrills and things like that. But I don't know, you get the impression that the 60s are bad if you would be fine if you didn't happen to be come across a, a pimp who was going to pimp you out. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, And the idea is like, you know, people in the 2070s might look back at the 2020s and be like, wow, I wish I was back then. And, you know, when TikTok was a thing, like the idea is that, you know, everyone's kind of unsatisfied where they are in life, but, Mm. you know, maybe the the end realisation should be that you you should be happy no matter where you are, right? Mm -hmm. Also, you know, I'm not particularly qualified to talk about this, but it felt a little bit like... um, yeah, she's having these dreams and going back to nineteen sixties and, and having a great time, and then like she's got a kind of boyfriend in modern day who is black. I was like, well, c- could there be like a, a a racial element here that the film is kind of neglecting to mention? Like, you know, nineteen sixties London probably wasn't a great time for a black person, so uh, it's kind of like that was almost something that they the potential was there to have that comment on, but it just sort of got glossed over, right? I heard the the reason for the casting was to better reflect current day multicultural London where there are lots of diversity, like everyone's comes mm. from everywhere. Oh yeah, but like maybe she could have realized, well, I go, you know, if he, if my kind of boyfriend was to go back, or if I talk to him about mm. this, he might not have the same experience going back to, you know, that that sort of time in history. So, I just think I'm getting sensitive because you're getting dangerously close to saying something bad about John. And John is the sweetest little guy <laughs> and he's perfect in every way. <laughs> I love him. He replaces the Coke can and says sorry. Yeah. He's the only one who believes her. Yeah, yeah. And no. then I just felt so bad for him when they go back up to her room to have sex and then she freaks out and he smashes the mirror He's mm. stepping on cut glass and it's like, oh, mm. John, you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I, I I, I, didn't mind. I liked him as a character. Don't, don't get me wrong. I just, it felt like there was something there the film was kind of missing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I've got here as well about the monsters who are, it's like, I'm just a bit sick of her. There are lots of successive scenes where she runs away and then she's fine. And then she, they come and get her and she runs away again. Just felt a bit contrived yeah. to me. I don't know about how you think of that. I don't know. See, this is hard because they terrified me. Um, there are so many jump scares in this film, so many that I'm very mad at Edgar Wright for it. Okay. And I think, I think what I'm coming around to is that jump scares are lazy mm. because you have the music quiet and then you have a big bang. Of course that's going to make people jump because yeah. it's surprising, right? But he does a mean thing here where she has a dream and she wakes up, right? And she reached for the – she re- sorry, she had a dream. She reached for the phone. One of the faceless men were there and she wakes up. And we're like, oh, mm. that was scary. But it's okay. She's awake now. 
then she reaches for the phone again and it happens again because it's like a dream within a dream. <laughs> and I just was like, listen, you can't be chopping in double jump scares. I won't stand for that. Actually, now I remember it. I remember that moment happened. I was like, oh, yeah. Sunday won't like that bit. No, I did not. <laughs> that was mean. Don't trick me into thinking we're awake and then not have us be awake. <laughs> well, I think what I'm getting at there with um, the, the jump scares and like, you know, third or fourth time you see somebody and it's not that scary if you keep running away from them. Like just to compare it to another film like in Get Out, there are scary elements, but they seem they kind of change each yeah. time. And this, you haven't seen Us yet, but that again, they, they mix up the, the scary elements as they go through. I'm, I'm a film expert and they have scary elements. <laughs> Listen, I, I do agree with you. I understand what you mean. However, there were differences. There mm. were like, you had the old guy at the pub in present day who had his own sort of menacing qualities about him. Mm. You had the faceless men. You mm. had the sort of schizophrenia element, which is trying to talk to the police. You mm. have the ultimate reveal of who's the bad guy. Mm. You yeah. have bodies under floorboards reaching up and grabbing her ankles. Firstly, no, thank you. Nuh-uh. No. Secondly, terrifying. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I get what you mean when it was all sort of undercut and it's like, oh, they were just reaching out creepily for her to ask for her help. Because that's that's what we do. We'd be really creepy when we ask her to call the police. That's yeah. that's a great subversive thing to do. And is that a little bit like giving these guys a free pass? Well, this is the thing, right? Like, Eloise as a character is very symp sympathetic for what Sandy's gone through. Hmm. And I think we are to an extent hmm. as well because, you know, it's, it's like meaningful casting that they've cast any... Anya Taylor-Joy in the role, and we're all like, she's amazing. You know, she's coming off on this huge high of her career. And it does sort of excuse her. It half excuses her from killing them, but also half excuses them for doing what they were doing. Mm. But maybe that was intentional, so we didn't know who well, we sided with. Yeah, and it can be messy. It can be a thorny issue that we don't really have a, a clear cut good guy and bad guy. No, that, that's fair enough. And I guess, like, Matt Smith's the real bad guy, isn't he? That's, yes. like, overall, I think, like, she was made to do this against her will and the guys were so creepy, but they don't necessarily know that she is being doing it against the will, I suppose. Like, if you mm -hmm. want to take... If, if I'm trying to get, trying to work out if there's a way we can give these guys a pass, maybe that's the way you can do it. I don't know if I fully understand. I'm on board with that, but try and accept the film that's given to us. But yeah. And no, Matt Smith is, is a creepy guy. Let's face it. In the film. He's a creepy guy. He, I mean, he's perfect though, isn't it? Let's face it. <laughs> Everyone's perfect in this. I don't think there's anyone who's miscast. Like no. Tom Arson does a great job of carrying this film. Anya Taylor-Joy. It's really grating on me that every review is calling her a blonde bombshell because for me that just sounds really reductive and it's talking about solely her appearance mm. um if she was like just a blonde bombshell she wouldn't have the career she has right no she's I actually don't... one of the best actresses of the last 10 years exactly and they're saying that in a comp complimentary way mm. but me reading it comes across as creepy and you guys just have the hots for her so let's just 
talk about how she looks. Um, a bit like the Margaret Robbie stuff, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to say she's a Bond bombshell. I'm going to say that she's perfectly cast for someone in the 60s. Mm. I think mm. who knew she could sing, firstly? <laughs> she's got a great voice. And she just does that really beautiful, like, um, ingenue mm-hmm. sort of magnetic presence on screen where everyone's turning to look at her. Um, and I thought she was brilliant. Can I? Can we get into the weeds of the flashbacks slash vision slash what it all means? Because I have several questions. Of course we can. Thank you. Okay, first question's a small one. Hansy, who's at the pub in present day. So he was the cop, right? A little bit of um, in the... I didn't expect this to happen, but um, what's his name? How have I gotten everyone's name today? Terrence Stamp, isn't it? Wait, Sam Claflin. In oh. The, in the... Oh, I get you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Sam Claflin, though. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In the young, in the younger, in the sixties. What do you mean it was Sam Claflin? It was yeah. him. Yeah, he was the he was punter number five. Excuse me, I didn't even bloody recognize him. I know he was the young Terrence Stamp. Samuel, identify me first, please. <laughs> Anyway. Because I, I watched it and I was like, that looks so much like Sam Claflin. <laughs> I looked up like, oh, it what's is. Him? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hmm. So um, did he F her? Did he F Sandy back in the day? Well, I don't know. Good question. Firstly, he's not dead. No. Secondly, he has the nickname of Hansy. So is he a police officer but he's just still creepy? Is that the vibe? Well, his name's Lindsay here in the Wikipedia. Maybe it's a play on Lindsay, Hensy, but it could be that he is a creep. And no, the, the, it's explained in the film. Her boss at the thing is like, "Oh yeah, just watch out for him. He likes to touch a few girls. They call him Hansy." Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. He, he could have been a cop back in the day, but also be a creep at the same time. But not a yeah. creep in the sense of being a rapist or being a being one of her joms. Mm. I think is the okay. term. Yeah. All right. But so... unclear. Fair enough. Unclear. What's your big take for what happened? Because my big take is that she has schizophrenia and she needs to seek mental health counselling and treatment. Um, she definitely needs to have something because she, like, put a knife on one of her friends at uni and then she everyone's okay with it. She in the eye, yeah. <laughs> that, that's not on. Um, and also that, you know, the ending, cliffhanger ending is that she's still seeing her and mm. can still see her mum and stuff. Yeah, so... 
so it's a question like, is it all in a head or is there some sort of time travel element going on? Is that your question? My question is what happened okay. in the film? Because here's, okay, here are some thoughts I had, right? There's a hickey on her neck. They know there's a hickey on her neck because everyone else comments on the hickey on her neck. Mm. So that either had to physically happen or she gave herself a hickey because she's so like out of it and insane that she, mm. you know, forces herself to have the physicality of what happened the previous night. I suppose so, yeah. So there's that. There's also like she's having these visions but then sometimes she's also Sandy. Mm. So is she – because like when she came out, there's one time when Matt Smith goes into the dressing room to try and get Sandy and he opens the door and Eloise is there and comes out in the costume. And it's like, so what I thought, the direction I thought the film was heading in, when she first has the first vision and she's in her pyjamas and she goes to the club, right, and they take off her coat and then she goes into the mirror and it's Sandy in the mirror Mm. and she touches the mirror and then they switch, I thought that they were going to do a multiple personalities thing and that the, the personality of, Sort of similar to, what's the James McAvoy Unbreakable movie? Split, which Split. has Daniel Taylor-Joy in it, doesn't it? It does. Mm. Where one of the personalities becomes stronger than the others and eventually takes over the sort of main person, mm. right? That's sort of the direction I was heading in just because of how that first sequence was shot. Of I thought the tap in the mirror was going to be the, the trigger for her coming out. You know, you tap in the mirror, mm. your reflection, then you switch. Um and that's where I thought it was going, and I was much more interested in that than what ended up happening, because as it is, I don't really understand what happened. If it was a thing where, because Eloise becomes more confident as the film goes on, like the longer she spends with Sandy, she starts to look like Sandy, you know, gets her hair done and everything. Mm. Wouldn't that make sense if it was like a multiple personality thing and that part was sort of overtaking her? And she was actually going through it, but she was pretending that she was Anya Taylor-Joy. Because I don't understand. Because some bits, it's her, right? Like she's in in the mirror watching Sandy, but then she's able to break through the mirror and touch her, which says to me that she's not a a figment. But then Mm. sometimes she is her. So what's the go? Um, I don't know. So I'm guessing, like, the visions don't start until she moves into the apartment, right? So Yeah, so it's got to be because Sandy lived in the apartment before, right? Yeah, and there might not be much of a, um explanation, but it could be, like, a wormhole or a, some sort of time loop or something where she can do it. And, I don't know, potentially because she has some mental health um issues maybe it's tapping into that or she's open to that sort of time tunnel you might say i don't i'm not i'm not i'm just (laughs) trying to work it out here but you're right so that's the thing is she like is she in a pensieve maybe like harry potter like (laughs) she's viewing the memory it was a bit like that wasn't it Yeah. yeah but also you're right she seems like she becomes sandy as well in the memory or the the time zone or whatever it is I suppose, but maybe it is like a pensive and every now and then she just sort of thinks of 
becoming the girl. She, I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, and the film doesn't really have come down either way, does it? No, and I think it's annoying because they're like, ooh, it's up for interpretation. It's not, though. <laughs> it's a poorly written, written film where you don't give the mm. viewer a resolution. You can't just... There's a way to do a cliffhanger ending or a way to leave some things mm-hmm. unresolved while also having a satisfying conclusion to your film. Here's another question I have. The floorboards. If she'd buried them beneath the floorboards, why is the first thing when you walk into that room not the overwhelming stench of rotting flesh and death? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense, does it? And it's, a little, it's a little bit like the, um, the Sweeney Todd uh, it issue. Is. It's like if everyone who goes to that barbershop or in this case everyone goes to this nightclub and then goes off you know is given the key to go to this girl's room ends up dead and like surely eventually you'd work out what's going on wouldn't you Mm -hmm. so i know they've been dead for a long time but i think you still like what you just air the room yeah (laughs) it's just fine yeah Yeah. the point like Mm. how do you bury someone between the floorboards of an upstairs Mm. because there's only so much room between stories isn't there yeah, unless it was like three guys or something, but it seemed like more than that, didn't it? It seemed like it was all of them. Yes. Also, the mm. fire in the end. The fire is contained by the one building, and next door there's a little convenience store with the lights on, and it's not touched by fire at all, and the electrics are still working. Mm. That's not what happens with fires. Fires spread. And don't give... I know what you're going to say. Don't even do it. <laughs> don't don't say, even. Don't say what? You're going to be like... Oh, it's because it was this, like, self-contained universe because of the room and the room was the reason that made her flashback. So there's probably, like, magical stuff going on. I know how fire works, okay? And I won't stand for it. I just got to say that's you know, it's the movie. It's the movie magic going on, so... No! Give me an answer. What actually mm. happened? Well, the other thing, you mentioned, like, she had the hickey. Do we say hickey anymore? Is that... Well, that's a hickey. hickey. Okay, hickey. Why can't we say hickey? I don't know. You can't say anything these days. Oh, Everyone's woke, isn't they? Oh, God. <laughs> you probably need to... Lonnie's not like that. He's taking the piss just for the listeners. <laughs> the love bite that she got, you, you pointed out. Um, but also she had knowledge from the 60s that she wouldn't have had any other way, right? So she, she must have had something going on where she actually did go back. Like it wasn't all just a dream in her head because, as it turns out... Um, old Tandy was a killer, right? Like she admitted to everything. So, so what's, what's going what's on? your yeah. feeling about that reveal? My Did reveal? You it? Well, I was kind of like, she's got to be someone, right? Like if I go back to what I've been mentioning pretty much every episode recently, the old law of economy of characters, <laughs> you don't just have an old lady played by Diana Riggs for no reason. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of, I was like, I didn't, I don't know if I was actively thinking of like, oh, she's got to be it. But I was kind of thinking like, well, it's got to be someone. And the same with Terrence Stamp. I was like, he's being billed as the bad guy. I doubt he'll be the bad guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. But what do you think of all that plot machinations? So, as you know, I don't like to analyse the film as it's happening. Hmm. I like to sort of switch that part of my brain off and experience it for hmm. the first time with the film. And so I didn't pick it because I wasn't thinking, oh, who's this person going to turn out to be? Um I guess it makes sense and that part of the film was very tense to me, like when John mm. was coming in and it's like, don't come in the door, she's going to stab you and then she stabs him and also mm. don't climb up the stairs, Eloise. Like that's a terrible idea. 
climb into the fire, like separating mm. yourself from the only exit of the building, you're going to reach a dead end. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Anyway, I don't mind it. I don't mind that being the reveal. Hmm. I think that's fine. But I don't know if that's a good outcome. I, I think it was kind of like you kind of see the wheels in motion a little bit. It, yeah. It was yeah. like, oh, okay, that's that's happened. It wasn't like, you know, there's that final twist in Get Out, which we'll spoil here, where, you know, the, the girlfriend's looking for the keys and the... Yes. In the bag. Which is just the best moment of any film. Yeah, and you look up and you're like, oh, my God, she's been in on the whole time. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe I'm stupid and I didn't see that coming, but I didn't see it coming. No, no. So that that was really blew me away. But um, this one, I was like, oh, okay, that's all happening. Can can I say something, Sine? Please, go Can I say something controversial here? Here we go. I was loving the whole girl with big dreams goes to the big city and kind of not working out and she's trying to make it in fashion school, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great movie. I didn't need anything else. Like, I loved all the stuff in, like, the 60s sequences in some ways and then obviously it fell away from me after that when it got to horror movie Doctor Who, right? Mm-hmm. But I was like, this could be just a great movie about a girl trying to make it in fashion school. I thought that would have been really good. All the all of the scenes with her friends, quote-unquote, were really compelling. Jocasta was there, who I hate. Um, we've all known a Jocasta, haven't we? Oh, we've all known a Jocasta. John was there, as I said, being just a little sweetheart. Yeah. You know, she was having trouble with her actual designs and the fabric wasn't sitting how she wanted it to and she was having, like, a creative crisis. And, like, and she's had some trouble in her past. Like, her mm-hmm. her mum passed away in sort of, you know, very troubling circumstances and she's got a grand who's, like, trying to help her out but, like, I want to keep you close, but you got to go live your own life. You can't just be stuck in Cornwall for your whole life. Yeah. Like all that stuff was so good, but then the the time travel and the horror sort of got away from that for me. Lonnie, mm-hmm. I've, I've done it. I've just done it. What have you done? This film mm-hmm. should have been two films. Yeah. One film of Eloise in art school having a nice time. Mm-hmm. And then a 1960s film with Aya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith in her descent into becoming a prostitute. Right, just like cut it out completely. Just cut it out, two yeah. separate films, remove the weird thing about, oh, is it real, is it not? Mm. None just of this makes two sense. Different ones. Yeah, I think that works. And it's kind of like that thing with Edgar Wright. He's a great filmmaker, we can't deny that. But all these films are kind of genre picks, right? Yeah. And they've always got a little bit of tongue-in-cheek or raised eyebrows and it's not completely a serious film mm-hmm. and it's like dude you could just make a really compelling drama about or comedy drama about a girl trying to make it in fashion school and i would have loved that yeah and they have such interesting things about like going to the city like that sequence with the cab driver mm. like every girl has been in a cab with a cab driver like that and then you 100 percent go to the store and like hide waiting yeah. for them to leave like all of that stuff was really perfect and insightful and a great reflection of what it's like to be a person in the world. Um, but then it just, like, how could you have that ah, that level of, like, insight but then just turn it into just a, a really generic horror film with yeah. cheap cheap scares and cheap, oh, they're going to grab your leg from under the bed sort of stuff. Yeah, I know that I said that that's scary. It is scary to me, mm. but it's not something I have never seen before. And here's the other thing. It took him six years to write this film. Is it the case of him working on it for too long and not knowing when to step away? Like, mm, is, it, is it possible you keep meddling and keep meddling and 
what comes out is just this mish mishmash of ideas that you don't you didn't intend to make but that's just where the mm. the rabbit holes led you mm, maybe i don't know well i think if you know, like if you're the guy who makes the the genre picks and you want to make this love letter to the 1960s and stuff it's mm. and it's a horror film as well because you're known for making genre films yeah kind of just that all it dovetails into something that yeah you and i saying the stuff we were really compelled by wasn't that at all no it's not to say that the 1960s parts weren't compelling like obviously they were and matt smith even though he's evil in this very charismatic on on mm. screen um and i just loved this idea of, of sandy waltzing and going i'm going to be a star I'm just going to, and she has such confidence yeah. <laughs> that she just, like, that was so compelling mm. and interesting. And then, I, I don't know. I, I just feel sad because I feel like there's there's a better version of this film in there somewhere. Mm. And it just didn't get brought to the surface and those themes just didn't get developed enough. And Yeah, and, and that summer stuff, it just gets a bit cliche, doesn't it? Yeah. They read that. You read it to us, I sent it to you the article from the ABC I about did. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. Oh. You got it? Oh, sorry. I was going to say I'll link it in the show notes. Oh, please do. Yeah. And it does like, oh, it's really compelling and really well shot and directed and um, great performances. But then, yeah, at, at a certain point, it's not something you haven't seen before. Now, we saw this as part of, we saw it as British Film Festival, as we said. That's still going on, probably, where you are at the moment. Yeah. At the time this comes out. And we're going to see some other films too. We've seen Boiling Point, which we both really liked, and we'll talk about that probably next week or the week after. Um, so get around that if you can. Um, so now he's going to see The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. I tried to see it last night in Brisbane, um, but the film didn't play. There was something wrong with the file or something. So I'll try and get around that some other way. But yeah, please get it to the British Film Festival. Some really good films there. That sounds so fake, by the way. Oh, what? the film, it just didn't play at the cinema. It, it didn't. I was there. They gave me a refund <laughs> and everything. So weird. I don't know. I just don't know what happened. Such bizarre cinema experiences. <laughs> you really do. My whole life is bizarre to me. <laughs> Some of the things that happened to me, people that talk to me, I've got one of those faces, people who come talk to me about stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, would you want to go back to the 1960s, Sine? probably wouldn't be in the nightclub drug scene in the 1960s mm. but i'd go back there although i guess you've got like really intense racism and homophobia to deal with hmm, yeah. maybe not i mean we've we got that one? now haven't we i guess in some black class, so yeah <laughs> what are you gonna rate it i'm gonna rate it out of five stars i'm gonna give it three stars today and that's still the recommendation i think in the end it's still a recommendation and but i've got some qualified points that we've gone through so far what about you it was a perfect film. It was on track the first half to be like, mm. I was so, I was actually had the thought while watching it, like, I'm really enjoying this mm. and just went downhill. Um, I think I'll give it three as well. Do not see this in a dark cinema if you don't like horror. Wait till it's at home and you put all the lights on and you can watch it in the middle of the day. You can hold two knives in your hands. And exactly. <laughs> Just in, in on the couch, ready for anything. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And I guess if not in horror films, don't go. Don't think you're going to watch a, a film about 1960s singer. Well, I'm mad at it because it said psychological thriller. I love psychological thrillers. Mm. Love them. Horror is a different genre that I mm. well. choose not to partake in. 
All right, then. Well, thank you very much for listening. We've got some podcasts. We've got like almost five years worth of podcasts of most of the films and TV shows that have come out in the last in that period. Mm-hmm. So you can have hours and hours of fun listening to our podcast. <laughs> we're on the socials. We're on Twitter, aren't we, Sine? Um That's great. You can get an update on what's going on with the podcast, but also what's going on every now and then. Sinead will put up some, some funny things, some funny tweets and some funny things about wigs and coffee mugs and things like that. My main complaints, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, as I said, British Film Festival's on. We're going to see Boiling Point, so watch that if you want, and we'll talk about that soon. Shang-Chi coming up too as well, I think. So now you finally got to see that. I did. Yes. So until then, this has been I Only Like You and Movies. My name's Lonnie. Her name's Sine. See you next time. Bye. 